God, if you have a Bible, I'm going to let you turn with me. We'll start in the book of John, chapter 3, and you can be seated. I've got a few different passages I want to read from, so I'll let you all just remain seated today. John, chapter 3. If, um, in case you don't remember, or let me... Let, rem- let me remind you, first of all, um, sometimes we as Christians, and particularly those that have the full revelation and understanding of the oneness of God, can be afraid of this one verse right here, John 3.16. Now, I'm not afraid of any verse in the Bible, and uh, I know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And you know this. Does anybody know who wrote, or I shouldn't say wrote, but who was the the speaker of these words right here? It's a pop quiz. A man named Jesus Christ spoke those words. That's not a trick question. It wasn't John. It wasn't Paul or anybody else. It was Jesus. This is a recording of a conversation that he was having with Nicodemus. Now, just think about it for a second and now realize this is Jesus speaking who said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to go back to verse 15, if you would. I won't take the time to go through the whole context of this uh, conversation, but, you, you know, Jesus is already well into his, if I could put it in our modern term, witnessing to Nicodemus, giving him a Bible study, whatever you might want to call it. And you remember, it's already in John 3, it says things like, you must be born again, you must be born of the water and the spirit. It says those things, the wind blows. Where This is all a part of that same conversation. And Jesus just keeps going. And he's, he's saying this to Nicodemus, who was uh, a rabbi, a teacher of the law, someone that should know the Bible and knew it quite well. But so he's marveling, to use Jesus' term, at the things that Jesus is telling him. You mean this is true you mean that's the way it's supposed to be and Jesus just goes in kind of rapid fire one after the other but I want you to look here verse 15 he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish everyone say perish that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life that's verse 15 And verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, everybody say perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus is getting really down uh, and personal about why he is sent. To the world. He knows his purpose. He knows what it is he has to offer simply by being here. 
And he knows why he's here, and he knows why he's not here. God did not send his son. Now, it's a little confusing if you add the fact that he's referring to himself in the third person. But this is just the way that the Holy Ghost chose to write it uh, through the author of John. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Would you say the word saved? So we have two terms, perish and saved. And each one, verse 15, verse 16 says, everlasting life, eternal life. But Jesus is really introducing, if I can put it this way, a concept to Nicodemus. And then John in his writing is introducing it to all the readers, including us, about this idea of everlasting life. All right? If you believe, is what it says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. What that means to me is, whoever does not believe in him should, not like you're supposed to, but where you're headed, will perish. There's two sides of the coin. There's perish and there's not perish. And one side is those who believe and the other is those who do not believe. Now, I'm not taking the time to go all into what it means to believe and and salvation and confession and all those things today. I just want you to get just the general concept. People are either going to perish or they're not going to perish. This is basically what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. I want to take you to Mark chapter 4, verse 37. Mark chapter 4, verse 37. Where we we read in John was early on in the book of John. Where we are reading in Mark is early on in the book of Mark. I'm, I'm pointing that out to you because I want you to see this is just shortly after Jesus calls his 12 apostles shortly after he's telling men, follow me. This is early on in their walk with Jesus. They, ha- they don't have three years of history behind what they're learning and what we're exper- reading about their experience today. Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says, There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full water were taken on water verse 38 and he meaning jesus was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and said to him first of all i'm just pointing out the fact they had to actually wake him up can you believe this guy I mean, we are taking on... I'm sure they weren't like, hey, keep it down because he's trying to sleep back there. Let's just get the water out. No. This is a bad storm. And they are taking on water and they believe they are about to die. So they find him, they wake him up and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Everybody say perish. That's the word that I had you... Also repeat in, in John 3.16, whosoever, sh- 
should not believe in him. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So they find Jesus and say, don't you realize we are about to die? I'm, I'm being kind to the disciples by pointing out to you and reminding you this is early on in their encounters with Jesus. They hadn't really seen and heard a lot about who he is and what he can do to, to express and put full trust and faith in him to know, yeah, there's a storm, but I, you know what? He's sleeping. I'll probably just take a nap, too, because I'm kind of tired myself. There's this saying they, they talk about with, uh, you know, newborns and infants to the mom. When the baby sleeps, you sleep. Well, that's kind of like what I would see here. If the disciples had had a well-formed uh, and, and seasoned relationship with the Lord, they might be thinking, well, he's sleeping. We ought to be sleeping. Because when he gets up, we're going to go do some stuff. Amen. But no, again, this is a, this, these are new, new disciples. These are new converts, new followers of Jesus that they're still probably thinking about the fact that if I wasn't here right now, I'd be fishing or I would be working or I hope everybody understands. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on this ship and they're still waiting for me to call in to work. They're not even going to know why I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and then I'm just going to sink and we'll be no more. This is their mindset when they go to Jesus and say, don't you care that we are going to perish? He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. It doesn't say it here, but probably he was thinking, can I go back to sleep now? That's a joke. Verse 40, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? He's being real with them. Why are you so fearful? Well, first of all, I didn't know you could do that. He says, how is it that you have no faith? You want to talk about a crash course in discipling. That was it. Who is this? That's what they say in the next verse. They feared exceedingly, it says, verse 41. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? No wonder he was sleeping so good. He's not worried about anything. First of all, Jesus, do you believe that Jesus had peace? I think we all believe that. He had peace. When you have peace, you can sleep in any storm. No matter what's going on in your life, if you have peace, when it's time to sleep, you ought to be able to sleep. Because the peace of God, which does pass understanding, I think a lot of times we're thinking, well, it's time to go to bed, but I still got all these things that I can't figure out. My mind is going overtime. 
Why? Because I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to figure out how tomorrow's going to go. How is this week going to go? I don't have enough peace to rest in the middle of this storm. Jesus had it, and he was our example here. When you have peace, you are not worried about perishing or any circumstance that looks like it could end with you perishing. The disciples, I want to, I want, I'm just, I'm going slow on purpose today because I, I feel like there's a lot of points to be made, but we got to start with this. These are new disciples. They, they were just fishermen. They've been likely been in some storms before and knew the last thing you do in a storm on the sea is go to sleep and take a nap. But they, furthermore, they, the fact that they said, don't you care that we are going to perish, really proves where they are in their walk with God, if I can use that term. They are still worried about their lives. They're still worried about life and death. And yes, I am saying, you're not reading into something that I'm not saying. I am telling you, if you are still worried about life and death and afraid of something that could cause you to die... I'm not saying you're, that that's unreasonable. I'm saying that fear is not rooted in faith in God. It's the opposite of having peace to know that whether you live or die, you're going to be fine. They, the disciples didn't know this. If we die, we're gone. That's what perish means. That, listen, they didn't go to Jesus and say, don't you realize that, that if there's a storm and we sink and we drown, we're going to die and go to heaven because we've received the Holy Ghost and we were baptized in Jesus' name? That's, that's not the mindset that they had. And I'm, it's not because they're wrong. It's just because that hadn't all played out yet. But they didn't have this thing called eternal life or everlasting life offered to them the same way that they would just years later. They're in this kind of limbo phase of, if I die, I'm gone. If I perish, I'm destroyed. That's the term for perish. That's the meaning of it, to be destroyed. Not pass on from this life to the next. Not pass away as in, you know, enter your eternal resting place. No, they're using a word that describes their understanding at that point of what's going to happen to them when they die. We are going to be destroyed. And you don't even care. That's really what they're saying. You called, you took away my job. You took away my livelihood. You made me leave my family. You made me desert all of that just so that I could come here and die. 
Does that sound anything like anything we've read in the last few weeks? The murmuring and complaining of the Israelites in the desert. Moses, you brought us out here to die. Perish. Everybody say perish. Master, you don't care that we perish. And he gets up and says, what you're seeing in the natural has no indication on what my plans are for you in the supernatural. It has no bearing on whether or not I'm going to let you sink and drown and then perish. He just, I mean, it, it, he could have given them the same example, the same story, without even calming anything. But he, I believe he did that for their benefit so that he could have a calm discussion with them. Because those words that he asked them, why are you afraid? Okay, let's, let's stop and, and pause for a minute. I'll tell you why I'm afraid. Because we're in the middle of a storm in the middle of an ocean, and I'm not a fish. I can't survive if our boat goes under. That's why I'm afraid. It's, it, it, it reads in the scripture like a rhetorical question, especially to us a thousand years later. But in the moment, imagine that. Jesus miraculously saved them from what looked like a certain death and said, why are you afraid? Uh, I was in a certain death situation. That's why I'm afraid. Here's the point. Even in a certain death situation, you should not be afraid. If you are afraid, it's because you think you're going to perish. Is everybody still with me? The disciples had no concept of eternal life at this point. They weren't, again, I said this, but I'm going to read it. His disciples were not saying, aren't you worried that we're going to die and go to heaven? They didn't have the concept of dying saved or dying lost. When they said, you don't care that we're going to perish, they meant we're going to be destroyed. They were afraid to die. Does everybody see that in the scripture? They were afraid to die. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Let's start here. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of, of Matthew chapter 10. Again, so I know, I know now we're in, it sounds like we're further into a book because we're in a chapter 10, but we're still talking early on in the lives of the disciples and they're following Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 starts with him calling all of his guys, his disciples to himself and saying, I'm going to give you power and authority. And this is what you'll do with it. So they're not, again, they're not two years, three years into being a disciple. They're new to it. And this is instruction that Jesus gives to these new disciples. He says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. How would you like to hear that on your job orientation? 
Welcome, gentlemen and ladies. So glad you decided to follow me today. Now, you're going to have some authority and some power given to you to operate and serve as a part of the kingdom of God. By the way, because of the operation, the special operation that we are going to perform, some of you are going to get arrested. Some of you are going to be persecuted. Sorry, but this is just where we're headed. That's why there's not more people in the room. Some of you are going to be taken and set on trial before governments. Some of you will be beaten. He didn't say this, but this is what we're learning. None of you are going to perish. But he says right here, when you get before all these people that it seems like they have their, your life in their hands, and it seems like they can say whether you live or die, whether they have the power, the, the power and the authority to throw you in jail for a life sentence, or execute you on the spot. Whatever, they see, whatever it seems like they can do, don't be worried about that. Fear not them which can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Now we've kind of jumped from Disciple 101 to Martyr 101. Feels like. But, I mean, I, I, I'm not a martyr. I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't plan to be one. I'm not telling God what I can and can't do or will and won't do. I've learned through my life not to go there. But, I mean, I don't see it yet in, in the calling that he's placed on my life. And I really don't know. It's kind of in this phase that we're at right now, I don't know that I can go around the room and say, oh, you've got the ministry of a martyr. You've got that gifting. Why don't we let, let's hear from you for a little bit. We can't really do that because of the side of eternity that we're on. But what we can do is get a glimpse into the instructions that were given to said martyrs. And this is it. These are those instructions. Fear not someone that could take your life, your body, but can't take your soul, but rather, everybody say rather, but rather, if, if Jesus doesn't have your attention yet, where we're at in the reading, hopefully this would get it. Uh, you know, the young men, they have what we call the invincibility complex. I'm going to pick on Brother DeAndre because he happens to be sitting right here. How old are you? 18 years old. I think my wife was kind of afraid to date me when I was 18 because she th knew I had this invincibility complex. She would say, you can't drive like that. <laughs> you just think you're not going to die? You think you're not going to get in a wreck? 
You think you're not going to get a ticket? Nah. I know what that pedal can do. And that's what, and I, there's another one beside it in case I need it. We, we get this invincibility. So I can imagine as Jesus has hand-selected his disciples and his followers, and he's got them in the room here, and he's literally telling them, don't be afraid of people that can kill you. Some probably hear that and think, uh, I'll try to process that. I'll try to have that faith. And others probably are thinking, oh, yeah. I just got a license. To not be afraid. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my operation. No worries. But he says, but rather fear. When the Lord tells us to fear, I think we ought to listen. Because how many times, I don't know the exact, I think I've heard 365, the number of times that the Bible says, fear not, don't be afraid. It's, it's many times, multiple over. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But here it says, to fear. Fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Yeah. I haven't reeled it in yet. It's still out there. Listen, that is not Satan. It's not. Satan cannot kill you and take your soul and destroy it in hell. Boy, does he wish he could. You've probably heard this by now, but if he had the ability to do that, you would be dead. I would be dead if he could just take our lives. But he can't. So when the scripture says, fear the one that can, who's it talking about? The Lord God Almighty. That is the one to fear. That is the one with all authority, including authority over your life. Receive that. Let me read it one more time. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear them, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body. In hell. Keep reading. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Cheap. A sparrow is cheap. You can go buy two of two for one. Discounts. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, you've got somebody looking out for you while you go do your operation. 
I want to examine this, this concept for a minute. We're still in Matthew 10. Go to verse 5, if you would, Brother Timothy. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Everybody say lost sheep. This is the operation that they were given at that time. Jesus said it. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want to look at this. What does it mean to be lost? If that's my special operation, go to the lost sheep, of Israel. Brother Matthew talked a little bit about this on Tuesday night. The house of Israel is not go into somebody's house, knock on the door and say, is there any lost sheep? No, this is the whole, the tribe, the people. So the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. You still with me? I'm asking you, how do you know which sheep are lost? I think that's a reasonable question that they could have asked Jesus. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Luke chapter 15. I won't, again, for the sake of time, go into this full parable. Most of us have heard the parable of the prodigal son, right? Two brothers, one wants his inheritance now. He takes it, goes, wastes it gets to the very bottom of life. In fact, little spoiler, he's sitting there eating out of a, a pig pen and says, how many servants in my father's house have food enough to spare? And I sit here and perish. Key word. I'm going to sit here and perish. I'm going to be destroyed in this state. You know the story, he, he rises, he says, if I can just go back to my father's house and be a servant, that'd be better than living here. Fifth, Luke 15, verse 24. This is what the father says when the son returns. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. Everybody say lost. He was lost and is found. That parable is given to us to see an example of one who would fit the category a lost sheep of the house of Israel. Someone that had everything they needed given and available to them, but instead of taking it, living accordingly, being thankful, and just staying where they should be, they went, they, they left it all, gave it all up, did some dumb stuff, found themselves in a state where they were just about to perish. That is lost. That is lost. Not like he didn't take his phone so I can't track him. I don't know where he is in the earth. No, we're not talking about physical location. 
We're talking about the spiritual state of a person that should they die, yes, they would perish. That's lost. He was dead is what it says. For this my son was dead and is alive again. They began to be merry. I'm almost done. I've just got a few more passages. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Again, I'm asking you, what does it mean to be lost? Who's a, who is a lost sheep? That was a parable. Now we're going to see a real life encounter. Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. That gets him into the, law, the, the house of Israel. All right? This day's salvation's here in as much as he was a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a, that's a pretty popular standalone verse right there and a standalone phrase. We know enough about the Bible and enough about Jesus to know uh, kind of two things. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this, he's come to seek and save that which was lost. That, I'm not knocking that. That's a great foundation, a great starting place in my understanding of who Jesus is. But he's saying this in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a man. A man who tried to express himself. I'm good. I'm not lost. I'm saved. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. And Jesus said, I know all that got you to here, but this day is salvation come to your house. Why? Because I'm here. I'm here, and my work is to seek, that means look for, is, where is one, where is one, seek and to save that which was lost. You know this meaning of the term Jesus, Jehovah has become my salvation. He has come to seek and save. Last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to cut out a lot of these verses and just give you a few of them. 1 Corinthians. So we've gone from the Gospels and Jesus and His words and understanding what the disciples did know and didn't know, what they learned, what they saw, what they observed. They started with the understanding, if I die, I'm gone. And they took that mindset into every trial into every storm. Jesus says, nope, I'm here to give you eternal life. I don't want you to perish. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. This, a lot of this chapter, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the idea of resurrection. Everybody say resurrection. He's trying to explain it. Resurrection. That's, we're talking about a spiritual resurrection. We call this a lot of times the rapture, right? I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. There is a resurrection. So Paul uses Jesus as the example even in his death and his resurrection. He says, if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. What do you mean if he's not raised? I thought he died for my sins. He did die for your sins. But if he just died and wasn't raised, you'd still be in your sins. This is the difference. I realize I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to my time limit about all you can take and absorb in one sitting. But I gotta, just got to try to explain this too. This is the difference in every other natural sacrifice up to this point. You kill a, a sheep, you kill a goat, you kill a bull, it dies, and those sins die with that animal. But it actually says they are rolled ahead. Your sins are rolled ahead. Not remitted, rolled ahead. Momentary forgiveness. The things that you did wrong while that animal was alive, those are rolled ahead. You go and do something else wrong, guess what else you got to do? You got to bring another one back. Kill it. Then those are rolled ahead. If Jesus had just died, then all that sin would die with him, like every sacrifice, up to this point. But it would just be rolled ahead. But, and this is what the scripture says, and I love this, death is the final enemy. When Jesus died and rose again, he defeated the final enemy, my final enemy, your final enemy. And now I am not worried about death as my final enemy. I'm not just going to perish and be destroyed. So this is what Paul says. If he didn't raise, if he was not raised from the dead, your faith's in vain, you're still yet in your sins. Verse 18, Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished if he wasn't raised. And he says it here, If in this life only we have hope, in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If, if my death was the final stop, it, because Christ's death was his final stop, that's miserable. There's no reason to believe that, it, that I'll die like he died. 
and stay down like he stayed down. But he didn't stay down. So this, is not, this life is not the only one that I've got hope in. Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ that is coming. You can stand with me. I'm going to come to a close. I, I just, I feel like we have the, if I can put it this way, the benefit of being 2,000 years after all this took place and we kind of just assume they knew all the things that we know. There had to be a place somewhere in that life of Jesus that understanding started to change. Revelations started to come. They were looking for a Messiah. You know that much. They were watching for who is going to be the king. Who's going to be the savior. And most people that were already looking when Jesus came missed it. They didn't believe. How many times I wonder when Jesus said things like, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Why? Because there's not going to be another one after me. You miss it. You miss it. You don't believe. You miss it. He said this, and you know it. We've talked about it here before. He looked dead in the eyes of those Pharisees and said, except you believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. Why? Because you're lost. You are on your way to perishing. But you don't have to. It's not my will that any should perish. It's my will that all come to a place of repentance. Be born again. Be made alive again. I understand that you were dead in trespasses and in sins. I understand, I realize you were on your way to a place of death. But because of my life, my death, my burial, and my resurrection. You can have eternal life. Can we just pray, respond to the Lord?
Come on, I feel the presence of the Lord here, and He wants to help us. He wants to minister to us today. I'm going to open this altar. I'm encouraging you to find a place to pray. I know the Lord wants to minister to so many situations right now. In the name of Jesus, God, I'm thankful. God, I'm thankful for your life and your death and your resurrection. I'm thankful, Lord, that you would die on the cross for me to take away my sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, reach out to the Lord. Reach out to the Lord. His Spirit is here ministering to you. In the name of Jesus.
say another thing before we move on I felt the Lord uh, uh, check me with this earlier and I wasn't sure what it meant but you know I was kind of half jokingly talking about that invincibility complex young people have young men especially and uh I was reminded, I, I, I don't remember the exact number, I think it's either eight or ten vehicle-related fatalities in Yakima County just this year, and this is April the 3rd, I think it's ten. Uh, that's a lot. In, in basically three months. Now, given what we've talked about today, a lot of what we talked about today, there's a lot of facets that touch on a situation like that. I pray to God that each one of those ten was not lost. Whether they were or not, He knows. And He knows all the situations surrounding that. It's not my job to try and determine those things. It's my job to pray for those things. And men, as we talked about yesterday at prayer, pray that His will be done and try to do our part in letting His will be done. But the other part of what that would do is, to some, and not to everybody, but to some, it would cause fear to say, and it's more complicated than this, but if I can just put it this way. If I drive, I'm going to perish. Master, don't you care that I perish? And if that's my mindset, it's because I've, I'm still missing the proper understanding. I'm not, I don't plan on perishing and dying and being destroyed like he said, fear not the one that can just kill the body. But fear would say, you know if you do that, there's a pretty good chance it's not going to end well. It's irrational. This word came up recently. Irrational. It's irrational in the sense, if you do the math, how many cars have been on the road in Yakima County that did not result in that. So it's irrational in the sense that if I drive, I'm probably going to get in a crash and die. No, 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 no. No, that's fear. And it's wisdom to say buckle up, you know. We're not going there today, but that's wisdom. 
So there's a place for fear, there's a place for wisdom, but the greater overarching thing is a place for peace. Because peace will say, whatever happens on any day or it, to me, around me, or to anybody I know, the Lord is sovereign and He's going to watch out for me and He's going to take care of me. I felt the Lord this morning tell me that He would visit here today with healing. And like with most things, I just thought, okay, we'll wait and see how that plays out. And obviously we want Him to have control and do everything in His will and His timing. I would like to ask if you want or need prayer for healing, if you would come to the front and allow the Lord to, to do that today. I'm going to talk about physical healing and spiritual because this is what I feel the Lord has done today. He's linked the two together. I know there are physical needs here. Some I know, some I'm sure I don't know, but I know there are physical needs. But there is also the need for a spiritual healing. What he did for those disciples that day was a spiritual healing. Now, it took all that great show of wind and storm and water and fear of drowning and all that. But really what he did was he did a spiritual healing because he said, you're afraid and you don't need to be. Have peace. You've heard, probably heard this term, a, a peace speaker. He's the peace speaker because he spoke it and they observed it. And if I saw him do that to a storm, I want him to do that to me. I want him to be able to speak to a storm in my life and say, peace be still. I'd like you to close your eyes and pray. Begin to pray. I believe the Lord's going to minister today. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you know each one of these needs. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm asking Elder Hart to anoint each one of you that are here, God. The Scripture says, let them call for the elders and let them anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. That's what we're doing here today with faith and understanding. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.